0: Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're in Genesis chapter 3 today. Let's jump right in. For those of you watching us online, thanks for hanging out with us today. Grab your Bible study materials so that you can follow along or maybe fire up your Journey Church International app. Everything on the screen will be in your handheld device so that you can email yourself. Your notes at the end of the service say, Christian, I don't have a Bible. Everything we read from the Bible is going to be on the screen so you'll be able to track with us. We're in week five of a five-week series, our final week of a series called Foundations. We have been trying to learn why... We can trust that the Bible is the Word of God. We started with kind of this big philosophical question in week one. We said this, if there really is a God. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, that's kind of where the argument starts. If, if there's a God uh, who really created the heavens and the earth and people so that he could live in relationship with them, if that was true, if there was a God who created the heavens and the earth and people so that he could live in relationship with them, don't we think he would tell them that and not hide from them? And if he told them that, How would he tell them that? And how could they know for sure it was him? Those are the conversations we've been having the last four weeks. So we've been asking some questions What's the purpose of the Bible? How do we know that it really came from God? Is the Bible we have today the real one that God gave to people? Is the information reliable? Is it credible? Uh, Was it written to us for today? Or was the Bible written to people who lived a long time ago for them? We've been asking those kind of questions, and we've been learning some things spiritually. We've learned, number one, about general revelation we said general revelation are the things in the universe that God kind of placed around us so that we would realize there's something bigger than us in the universe. The things that appear supernatural, the heavens, the earth, the universe, the oceans, the mountains, the sun, the beautiful sunrise, the beautiful sunsets, things that just kind of touch our heart and make us think there's got to be a God in this world. There's got to be something bigger than me. I might not know his name or what he's up to. But I just believe there's got to be something bigger than me in the world. We said from general revelation, God would step down into special revelation. He would not just get our attention, but he would earn our affection. He would say, here's who I am and here's why I have created you. Here's why I want to be close to you. And we believe the special revelation is found in this Bible. 66 books of special revelation that reveal who God is in a manner that allows us to choose to trust it. I don't know that we can look at the Bible and beyond a shadow of a doubt say, absolutely, God wrote this. It takes faith to believe it, but not blind faith. There are great reasons to believe that this really is a divine book. Then we went to the information and we said, is this the same one Moses had? Is this the same Old Testament that Jesus and Paul preached from? Is this the same New Testament that the disciples really wrote? And we said the information is historically accurate. It's credible. It's reliable by all scholarly standards. And then last week we said, how about the impact? Is it for someone else or is it for us? Was it written to them then, thousands of years ago? Or is the Bible written to us, like for today and what's going on in our life? And we said the Bible is written for us Today It can certainly impact us deeply. The next question we want to ask and finish with today is this, are we accountable to do what's in it? I mean, you can take your few favorite verses, you can take your few favorite stories, you can take your few favorite chapters and be impacted deeply by the Bible, but are you accountable to all of it? Does all of it have authority in your life or do we get to kind of pick and choose like we're at a buffet spiritually? I've got two goals today as we dig into today's message. The first is this, number one, to help you hear the lies of the devil in regards to the authority of scripture. I want to help you hear the lies of the devil in regards to this question, does the Bible have authority? And here's what you need to understand. The moment God began to speak, Satan began to lie. You need to write that down. It's not going to be on the screen, so you have to use your own words You spell it the best you can. The moment God began to speak, Satan began to lie. The minute God opened his mouth, so did Satan and said, you cannot believe that. You can't trust God. I don't think he means that. You don't have to do that. You have to understand the minute God began to speak, Satan began to lie. And he's been telling the same three lies for thousands of years. He'll tell the same three for thousands more. Number two, I want to help you lean into the heart of Jesus who we're gonna find out is the only one who can keep all of scripture on your behalf. So we're gonna look at the lies of the devil. We're gonna look at the life of Jesus and we're gonna put those things together and learn why we can trust the authority of the Bible. We're gonna do that from Genesis chapter three before we dig in. Let's ask God to speak to our hearts, to speak to our heads, to really help us see what he wants us to see. Would you bow your heads quickly with me? Man, would you take a deep breath? Some of you have had a really, really, really long week. Would you just leave last week in the past? Some of you got a big week coming up. Would you leave next week in the future? And in in these moments on this day, would you just ask God today to speak to your heart? Would you ask God to do two things for you? Ask God to help you hear the lies of the devil and see the heart of Jesus in and through the Bible. God, that's our prayer today. Help us to hear the lies of the devil and see the heart of Jesus in and through your word. We love you. Wesley sings in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and earth and everything in them. Genesis chapter 2 is a little more defined narrative, specifically of the creation of Adam and Eve, their placement in the Garden of Eden, their purpose in the world. And then in Genesis 3, kind of everything gets blown up. Because Satan comes walking into the Garden of Eden. Some of you are familiar with the story in the form of a serpent, and he begins to have a conversation with Eve that he has had with you. Maybe he's going to have with you this morning, that he's having with your friends who don't know Jesus. Here's the conversation Genesis 3, verses 1 through 5. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, I told you we're having five conversations in this series. The fifth is today. Here is today's conversation. If I could just throw the question out to you on your sermon notes. Today's conversation is this. Does the Bible still have spiritual authority today? Does the Bible still have spiritual authority today? But this isn't just today's conversation. This is humanity's conversation from the beginning of time because the question we're asking today, does the Bible have authority, is the exact same question that, this, that Satan was asking Eve in the garden of Eden, the very first conversation that the devil ever engaged with in humanity was this. Do you really think you can trust God? Do you really think you have to do what he says? This same conversation, it's not today's conversation. This is the human race's conversation. Are you going to do what God told you to do? Are you going to kind of do things your own way? The conversation hasn't changed. And here's what you need to know. Time Has changed today's question for those who follow God we've put a new spin on it by saying can we trust it because it's really old But it's not changed the motive of the question of the voice behind it the motive of the question is Satan doesn't want you to trust the authority that God has in your life The voice has always been the voice of the devil And the reason is because he wants you to be separated from God like he is now the big argument of today's conversation sounds different Here's the big argument of today's conversation that a lot of Christians are willing to argue. Listen, this book, when it was written, was exactly what God meant it to say. But it's been, parts of the Old Testament, almost 4,000 years since it was written. Certainly, if God would write it today, he'd write it differently. I mean, things have to Christian, things change in 3,500 years. New Testament was all written 2,000 years ago. The conversation today sounds like this. This book is so old, it possibly can't still have authority today. We've added a timeline to it, but the real truth of the Garden of Eden was this. God had a conversation with Adam and Eve that morning, and that afternoon, Satan showed up and said, do you really think he meant what he said? See, I don't care if God spoke to us a thousands, thousands of years ago or 10 minutes ago. Satan would show up and say the same thing. Do you really think God wants you to do that? See, it's not the time. That shapes the question. It's the heart behind the question. If if God called you at ten a.m. and Satan called you at 10, 10 a.m., his question would be would be, "Do you do you really think God meant what he said? Do you really think you can trust it?" So we put a new spin on the question, but the heart and the motive are the same. And today we're going to look at the three lies of the devil. Whether God's words two thousand years old or two minutes old, we're going to look at the lies the devil gives us. Because if we can't learn how to answer and respond to these lies. The power of the Bible in our life is gonna be super, super limited. What are those lies? Lie number one, you can't trust God's word. Lie number one, you can't trust God's word. Did you hear that in today's narrative? He was telling Eve and he kind of did it passively, aggressively. I don't think you can trust that. Some of you have heard it in your life. You've been in a, you've been in a church service. You've been in a Bible study. You've read a book, you've read a verse and you've thought, mm, I don't know. Something is said, I'm not sure you can trust that. That is one of the lies of the devil. Look at Genesis chapter three, verse one. Look at what Satan does as he engages in conversation. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really? You need to circle this word really if you have your Bible open. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really? Say the word really. really. Now say it, say it in a passive aggressive way where you've already answered the question, right? A little more high pitch. Here's what Satan would have said. Did God re- really? Did, he, did God really say Like, he asked it in a way that that to answer yes would make you sound stupid. He asked you in a way to make you question yourself. Have you ever had someone passive-aggressive ask you this question? Do you really think? Like, when really is high-pitched, basically they're saying, do you already know the answer? I just want to see if you know the answer. I want to see if you get it right. Satan says, did God really? Did God really say you couldn't do this? And it's interesting because Satan's still asking that question. Do you really think God still wants you to do this? Really? Really? 3,000, 4,000 years old? Really? Really? Can't get much higher. I would would have a problem. Really? Really? Every now and then, people ask me this question because that's the trick of today. The trick of, well, I'm sure the Bible was true when it was written, but that was so long ago. And I will hear this. Christian, it it, it sounds really intellectual. Christian, do you really think, really think that somebody could have written something 3,500 years ago? That a Jewish guy standing on a mountain in the Sinai Peninsula, could have written something 3,500 years ago that, that applies to today. The truth is just too old. I mean, do you really think that God intends all of that stuff for us? And I'll play along with them, and I'll think, you know what? I mean, probably not. I mean, seriously, how could anyone know 3,500 years ago what would be right and wrong in the year 2019? How, how could God know how culture would evolve? How, how could God know how the hearts of people evolve? Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess, I guess 3,500 years ago, no one could know what was right or wrong today. Probably we can't trust the Old Testament. And then they're, they're, they like that answer. And like, yeah, really good. Really, really good. But then I act like I have an idea. And I'm like, but what about, um, what about the murder one? Like, that was, that was 3,500. Like, murder st- I mean murder's still wrong, right? I was like, well, yeah. I mean, of course murder's still wrong. And I'll say, what about the, uh, I act like, I don't know him. What's the, uh, what's the other one? What, 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 about, what about the adultery one? Like, if you're married, should you sleep with someone who's not your spouse? I mean, like, that's, that's, I mean, I know that's really, really old, but old fashioned or like, I mean, that's like, that's, that would still be wrong, right? If our spouse did, I'm like, yeah, that's wrong. But what about stealing? What well, if you came out in the morning and the car you parked in your driveway was gone, would you just be like, it's 2019? Or would you be like, someone stole my car? <laughs> stealing is wrong. I mean, stealing old, I mean, is stealing like just old fashioned or is that like still no, that's wrong. What about lying? I mean, is that is, I mean, lying. And then I usually stop at that. Like, yeah, lying's still wrong. And, I, and, I, and basically, I say something like this. So, so you're not saying that nothing from 3,500 years ago can be true. What you're saying is what you don't like from 3,500 years ago can't be true. It's not the age of the argument. It's what you like or don't like. That's what you're saying can't be true. And often they'll say, I didn't think about it that way, but maybe. There was a conference this summer with Pastor Chris Hodges. He made this comment when he was talking To the pastors there about the Bible. He said, If we believe what we like in the Bible, but we don't believe what we don't like, it's not the Bible we trust, but ourselves. And that's where a lot of Christians are. I believe 3,500 year old truth about murder and adultery, stealing and lying, because all of those impact me negatively. But the other stuff I'm not so sure about. So I will ask somebody, I'll go a step further and give them the benefit of the doubt. I'll say, Actually, you know what? You're pretty smart. Looks like you've done your homework. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. It could be that you've got a new spin on the truth. So, if you can prove to me that I should listen to you, that you should be the voice of moral truth in our world, I'll I'll change my opinion. But can I just ask, can I give you a little interview? Can I ask a few questions? I'm like, sure. I'm like, okay. Um, So, I take out my pen. Do you have thousands of years of archaeological evidence to back up the fact that you've always been right? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay, you know, no. Not a game breaker, but I have more questions. Um, Could you do like a miracle? Like, could you do one supernatural thing to just prove to me that you're like you exist on a higher plane? Like, oh wait, I mean, just let me know. Let me know. And they're like, No. I'm like, okay, no to that one. Um are you willing to die for what you believe, and are you able to come back to life to prove that it was true? And by that time, they know where I'm going. So I said, if you can't do that, I'm gonna stay with my guy. I'm gonna stay with my guy because he did that. His name's Jesus. Should meet him, he's awesome. But he he has all those things. So I I appreciate what you're saying, but I'm gonna stay with I'm gonna stay with my guy. Not always easy, but I'm gonna stay with my guy. As a matter of fact, sometimes biblical truth is uh, is really hard. It's not only not easy, it's really, really difficult. I believe one of the greatest pictures of difficult trust in the Bible is found in Daniel chapter 8. In Daniel chapter 8, Daniel had revealed to him God's vision for the future of the world for the future of his life And he didn't like it It says in Daniel 8 26 and 27 the vision of the evenings and mornings that's been given to you is true That's what the angel said to Daniel but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future Look how the vision impacted him spiritually I Daniel was worn out I lay exhausted for several days then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision It was beyond understanding Let's, let's look at that verse for just a minute. Daniel says, sometimes as a Christian, you read what God's word and will is for you and you believe it has authority and where you are in life versus where God wants you to get. You see what God wants you to do and you think, that, that exhausts me. To think about that spiritual journey of where I am but who God wants me to be, it's exhausting. Sometimes it's appalling. God, you want me, you want me to forgive my ex-husband? Don't you remember what he did, God? You want me to forgive my ex-wife? You want me to forgive the boss and what they did to me? You want me to forgive my uncle, my aunt, my cousin who did that to me? Sometimes you hear what God's truth is, and it's appalling. And often we very clearly hear God say, here's my plan, here's my path, and it's beyond understanding. You see, I think as Christians, we think, oh, if we're Christians, everything is easy. But here's Daniel, a follower of God, who's hearing the word of God saying, man, when I kind of see the big picture of God's plans, man, sometimes it wears me out. You say, what do you do as a Christian when you know who you are and you see who God wants you to be and the gap is like so big? How do you embrace that truth? Here's what we do as Christians. Christians embrace in faith what they don't understand because of who they have experienced. His name's Jesus. Christians embrace in faith what they don't understand. Exhausting truth. The journey to get there is going to be so hard. Appalling truth. God, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, Truth you can't understand. That doesn't even make any sense to me. But God, I'll try to embrace it. I'll embrace in faith what I don't understand because of who I have experienced. So the conversation with the devil kind of sounds like this. Did God really say? Yeah, he did. Well, do you think he really meant it? I would, I would assume so, yes. Well, do you think you really can do that? And it's like, I don't know, but I know who Jesus is and what he's done, so I'm, I'm gonna embrace in faith what it is, and I'm gonna do my very, very best. Lie number one, you can't trust God's word. The truth is you can trust God's word, but you have to be willing to live in faith. Lie number two, you don't have to follow God's word. Lie number one, you can't trust it. If that one doesn't work, Satan will tell you, listen, you don't have to do what God's word says. So Eve tells the serpent, um, here's, here's what God says we have to do. God, God says, for this tree, kind of here are the rules. And you can kind of hear the serpent's condescending laugh, right? Like you know when someone has a condescending laugh. We actually all have one. We just hope people don't know it's our condescending laugh. <laughs> bless your heart, right? Like people who, people who don't go to church say you're so stupid. Christians say bless your heart. It means the exact same thing. It's like <laughs> bless your heart. You're an idiot. I mean like, like Satan. So, so Eve says... Here's what, God told, here's what God told us. And Satan says, oh, Eve, bless your heart, Eve. You don't got to do that, Eve. And he says in Genesis 3, 5, after a little laughter, listen, Eve, you don't have to do that. God knows when you eat from it. Your eyes are going to be open and you're going to know God. You're going to be just like God, knowing good and evil. You, you don't have to follow what God says. And here's what's so interesting about this conversation with Eve. Satan actually presents a half-truth here. Because he he says this to Eve, which will end up being true. You don't have to be perfect in order to have a relationship with God. You don't have to do everything that God says in order for him to love him and be near to you. That actually, that part of it, because of Jesus, is going to be true. What he doesn't tell her is the second part of that. But if you do this, you are going to be disconnected from God. And if you do this, you are going to die. And if you do this, humanity will live in a state of brokenness until God comes back and makes it better. He gives her a little half-truth. You don't have to do everything that God says perfectly to be near to him. But then he doesn't fill in the gaps for her. Saying you don't have to follow God's word perfectly to be near to him theologically is true, but only because of Jesus. And here's kind of one of the key tension points of this message. Here's the tension point of this message. If you don't have to follow God's word perfectly to be near him, why follow it at all? That really becomes the tension of what we believe versus how we live. If you don't have to get a 100% on the test for God to love you, why why even take the test? The question Christians ultimately have to kind of answer for themselves is this, how should we view God's word? Do we have to follow it or do we not have to follow it? Should we follow it? Should we not follow it? How do we view God's word? Let me give you a couple ways for how we should view God's word as we follow Jesus. Number one, we should view it as God's standard. It's how God wants us to live our life. And we should view it as God's delight for the life of his people. But, But it's not your salvation. We should view God's word as our standard. That's how God wants you to live your life. We should view God's word as the delight of the life of his people. It should be something we want to do. But following God's word does not lead to salvation. That is salvation by works. And here's how, listen to how Satan changed this truth. Here's what Satan said to Eve. You don't have to follow God's word perfectly to be near to him. And then as soon as she sinned, here's what he said to every other person connected to God. If you don't follow God's word perfectly, he'll reject you. He changed the lie immediately. You say, well, which is true? I mean, you do have to follow it perfectly or you don't have to follow it perfectly perfectly. If we cannot follow it perfectly, what what does that mean? And if we don't have to follow it perfectly, who cares? We have to figure out the heart of Christianity when it comes to God's word. So how should we view God's word? We view it as God's standard and delight for his people, but not their salvation. You say, how, how can there be on one hand, you have to be perfect to get to God, and on another hand, no one can be perfect enough to get to God? Christian, there's a huge gap there. How do you close the gap? The answer is the cross. Jesus came down and he closed the gap. Right, He closed the gap and said, I am your bridge now to Jesus. Romans 8, verses 3 and 4 say it this way. It's a really good picture as we unpack it. What the law was powerless to do, rules to get you to God. Be perfect and you you can get to God. Paul said you can't do that. What the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, no human could perfectly keep all of God's laws, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Go to the next verse. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met. Two parts of the law. God says, you gotta keep it perfectly or you gotta die if you break it. And Jesus said, I'll do both. I will keep it perfectly because they cannot. And then I will die because they don't want to. And then I'll give them an opportunity to trade places with me and they can take my heart, my life, my spirit and live following me. And God says, we've got a deal. Romans ten four says it this way. Jesus is the finish line of the law. But then he becomes the starting line of our race of faith. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Jesus says, I will live the perfect life you cannot live. I will die the death on the cross you do not want to die. And then we can trade spirits. You can have my spirit so that God can see you as having my righteousness. Do we have a deal? Obedience is not our salvation but it is our standard. It should be something we want to live to. Why? Because of the second reason of how we should view God's word. We should view God's word as a guidebook to our most fulfilling spiritual life. You say, if I don't have to keep it to get to heaven, but I should want to keep it if I'm a Christian, what in, what in me should want to say, I, like, I have to do this? It should be really, really important to me. Well, we want to be able to see God's word as a guidebook to our most fulfilling spiritual life. In 1 John 5.3, John, who was one of Jesus' best friends while he was living, his youngest disciple, the last writing apostle, said this in 1 John 5.3, this is love for God to keep his commandments, to follow his word. And his commands are not burdensome. This is a great, great word, uh, burdensome in, in the Greek language. It's a Greek word, "bapei," And it means severe, stern, violent, cruel, and unsparing. John did not say for Christians, keeping God's word wouldn't be hard. He didn't say to Christians, following all the commands is easy. He said this, for Christians following Jesus, God's commands are not bad for your soul. They're not destructive for your soul. They're not unfair to you spiritually. They're not violent in your life. His words will guide you to your most fulfilling life. And none of his words will be bad or destructive for you spiritually. God's commands ultimately bring delight to our soul, not burdens, not destructions. But some of you are saying, Christian, I, I can't see that right now. Christian, I know who I am and, and how I live my life right now. And I've also heard what the Bible says about who I should be and how I should live my life. And I don't know that I can get there. I don't even, I don't even know if I want to get there. I'm not sure how to do that. Some of you are thinking, Christian, I, I know how my heart is shaped and how I love people who aren't like me. And I know how the Bible says that I should love people and turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and all this stuff. I just don't think I can do that. I, I know who I am I know who Jesus says I can be, but I just, I don't know that I can do that. Christian, I know how the Bible says that I should use money and that I should always save and that I should always give and that I should always be generous, but man, like I'm trying to make sure that my house doesn't get foreclosed on right now. Like I know what God says about giving in his word, but I know the the position that I'm in right right now and I just, I don't know, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Christian, the Bible tells me to forgive people who have hurt me. I don't know that I can do that. The Bible tells me to trust God with my future. I don't know that I can do that. I really believe that God's spirit is telling me to quit this job because I'm really, really successful, but I'm losing my family and I don't even know my children. But if I get another one, what's that going to look like? God, I don't think I can do that. What if I can't get to where God wants me to get? What if I'm having a hard time agreeing that what God says for my life is actually better than what I have for my life? Christian, how do I close that gap? It's a great question. And I think the answer to that question is found in Philippians chapter three. This is one of the most powerful sections of New Testament scriptures, Some of my favorite. Paul is sitting in a jail cell for doing ministry, and he writes these words to the church in Philippi. Philippians three ten. The first part of it's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. I want to know Christ. Like I love this verse. Paul's sitting in jail, saying, "Hey, hey my goal today is just I just want to know Jesus better." Man, what a perspective! I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in his suffering, become like, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, that's what I want, but I'm not there yet. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Again, I'm not there yet. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have done it, to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind And straining towards what is ahead, I'm going to press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, but then people leave out verse 16. Paul says this, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we've already attained. Paul said, in your spiritual journey, you're going to have things that are hard that you got to keep pressing towards. But you're going to have things you don't even agree with at first. You're going to think different from how God thinks. And Paul said, just keep leaning into those areas because I'm going to trust if you will keep getting closer to Jesus, even those things you think differently on, God's going to open your eyes and the Spirit of God is going to show you the delight your soul will have in living the life that God called for you to live. Listen, I don't know if you know this yet, but none of us are there spiritually. I hope you know I am not there spiritually. Uh, yet. Yeah. I, I hope you know none of our pastors are where, where we need to be spiritually. Yet. I, I hope you know your small group leaders are not where they need to be spiritually. I hope you know that the person in your small group who thinks they're better than everyone else because they know more than everyone else is not there spiritually yet. Like, I, I hope you know that about Christianity. Because if the Apostle Paul, at this point in his ministry, in Philippians chapter 3, is sitting in a prison saying, I'm not there yet spiritually, but I'm trying And there's things I want to do that I've not done yet, and there are some things that I'm still trying to wrap my mind around, but I'm still pursuing Jesus. If Paul's not there yet, we ain't going to get there, folks, but we can keep getting closer. And that's what we need to do when Satan says, you don't have to follow God's word. Jesus says, you should want to. Christians ultimately submit to the scriptures because of the surrender of their Savior, Not because it's easy, not because they agree, not because we understand right away how it works, but because of what Jesus did, the argument goes something like this. I don't understand everything Jesus is asking me to do, but I know he died for me. He cared me enough to die for me, so I cannot imagine he would ask me to do anything that's bad for me. He gave his life for me. I'm gonna trust everything I don't understand that one day when I talk to him, it'll make perfect sense to me because he's proven that he loves me with his life. Lie number two, you don't have to follow God's word. The truth, you will want to follow God's word once you begin to follow Jesus. And then lie number three, you're not going to be held accountable for following God's word. This is a strong one. It's a scary one. Please don't listen to this lie. You're not going to be held accountable for not following God's word. Let's track this conversation, right? Satan says, did God really say? Couldn't eat from that tree? Yeah, he did. He's like, he doesn't mean that. And Eve said this, if we do it, we're going to die. God said, there's this tree. He gave us this boundary for our good, not for our bad and said, Hey, this tree is deadly. That's a deadly tree. Don't eat from that tree. And Eve said, if we eat that tree, we're going to die. Intercondescending condescending laugh. <laughs> oh, Eve, 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 you will not certainly die. He said, God said, if we eat that tree, we're going to die. It's like, come on, Eve, God who created all this, God would never do that to you. You're not you're not going to die. You're not going to die, just eat the fruit. And they did. And let me ask you a question. You ever met Adam and Eve? You ever seen them doing an interview on Good Morning America? You ever seen their pictures in an encyclopedia? You ever run into them at Costco? Just out shopping? It's like, hey, there's Adam, there's Eve. What's up? You ever met them? Anyone? They're dead. They're dead He said but the devil told him they wouldn't die He lied Because he's a liar He's the father of lies He lied And he's lying to you if he's telling you Listen the Bible says you don't have to do that God is so good Do you really think God's going to hold you accountable God who gave you all this He's not going to hold you accountable for what the Bible says That is a lie And listen, when you begin to hear the devil say, did God really say, God didn't mean, God doesn't care. Be careful. Be careful and listen to the truth because here's the truth of the Bible. We must see the Bible as absolute moral truth that will one day be accountable for keeping. Like we have to see the Bible as absolute moral truth that will one day be accountable for keeping, not merely advice for situational morality, which is how so many people wanna see the Bible. Give me a good verse for this thing in my life but not God has total authority. You say, why is it important for God to have absolute moral authority? Let me paint a picture for you. My little girl, Casey, is getting ready to turn 16. I think she's in the service case. Are you in here? She's getting ready to turn 16. So we've been trying to get her ready to drive, slowly but surely. And when I say slowly but surely, I mean very slowly and maybe not. I mean, like, it, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be a long road. She does a lot of things good. We're, we're hoping driving is one of those one day. She'll be 16 in about five weeks. So as we've been teaching her to drive, I've I've been teaching her about defensive driving. I learned to drive 25 years ago. Anybody learn defensive driving, basically drive like everyone else on the road is an idiot, bless their hearts, right? Like like, we expect them to do things wrong. So for the last 25 years, I don't don't go at a four-way stop till everyone else has stopped, even if it's my turn. I won't go through a green light if the people with the red light haven't stopped yet. I never drive down a two-lane road. I grew up in a country town. All our roads were two-lane road with someone coming near me without knowing where I can bail off because I just don't, I hope they stay on their side of the road, but I don't know. And two weeks ago, Danielle and I are heading out to dinner to get something to eat. We're on 470 headed up towards Douglas. We exit on Douglas. You can see the ramp as you head up. And I got a green light, so I'm flying up the ramp at the green light but as i approach the green light even though it's green i'm not trying to rush through i'm first checking to make sure no one's coming and i see a car that coming kind of from the airport that is flying down douglas like 50 miles an hour they were flying and i just in my spirit i thought man they don't look like they're slowing down so as i approach my green intersection i got slower and slower and slower until i finally stopped and me i had a full green they had a full red and boom they went flying through the intersection and I thought, man, I actually told Danielle, we got to teach our kids this stuff. Because had I gone on green, I wouldn't be here today. I mean, I, I might be in a hospital. I don't know if I'd be dead, but they, I, I'd have been banged up pretty bad. I don't know that I'd have been preaching this morning. When the whole world doesn't follow the same rules, it's dangerous. Aren't you glad every time you're flying in from some city? Or don't you hope that all the pilots up in the sky are listening to the same air traffic controller and they're letting him be in charge? Don't you hope when you pull up to a four-way stop that everyone has agreed to follow the same rules? Don't you hope when you, when you pull into an intersection, don't you hope red means stop to everyone and green means go to everyone? Don't you, when you're driving down a two-lane road, don't you hope at night when you see headlines coming towards you that you both believe the same thing about the yellow line? Don't you hope everyone's following the same rules? I mean, we, we trust that everyone follows the same rules. It's the only way we can live because when everyone doesn't agree on mutual authority, everyone suffers collective harm. And we live in a world right now that's trying to decide who's gonna be in charge. One of my favorite books of the Bible is the book of Judges. It has the saddest ending of any book in the Old Testament. Because the last verse of the book of Judges says this, instead of a world with moral authority, here's, here was Israel in the days of, of the Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. Everybody just did what they saw fit. Everybody did. another translation says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone made up their own truth. Everyone danced to their own song. Green mint, go for some, stop for others. Red mint, stop for some, go for others. Just everyone kind of did their own thing. And if you read through the last seven chapters of the book of Judges, it's deplorable what is happening in the nation of Israel with these people who are supposed to be God's people. You read through it and you think, I would never want to live in those times, but then you turn on the news and you think, we are. That's our world. Rape, murder, violence, assault, government run amok. It's like, that's our world because... Everybody just makes up their own rules. When not everyone agrees on the same moral authority, everyone everyone suffers collective brokenness. So you say, Christian, what what do we do? Keep working, keep trusting, keep obeying, keep moving forward spiritually. I'm gonna leave you in this series with a verse that Paul gave to the church in Philippi when when they said, hey, what do we do? What, What do we do on these things that we're trying to figure out? What do we do on these real hard issues of Christianity? What do we do? Paul said this in Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13. Paul said, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, here's what I leave you with in this series. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who's gonna help you do it. It's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The things that are gonna be really hard, just continue moving forward, God will help you. The things that I think differently on, but the Bible clearly says, keep moving forward, God will help you. The things where there's a big gap between who I've always thought I was and who God says that I should be. Just keep moving forward. God will help you. Just keep moving forward. Know the lies of Satan. Know the truth of Scripture. You can't trust Scripture. You absolutely can trust God. You don't have to do what it says. You absolutely are supposed to do what it says. If you follow Jesus, it's actually for your good. You'll be held accountable one day for how you live. You need to understand that, not as a matter of salvation. But if you're a Christian, you should want to follow God's word. Because following Scripture doesn't save you, but for those who are saved, it will make you look more like Jesus. I hope you've enjoyed this last five weeks as much as I have. It was my goal to equip you to answer some questions, to prepare you to have a little deeper level of faith in your heart, more than anything to inspire you to think, man, if this is really God's word to me, I want to know all of it. I want to learn it. I want to memorize it. I want to recite it. I want to teach it. I want to tell it to other people. I believe you're equipped. You're prepared, you've got a firmer foundation. Move forward until you become who God created you to be. We pray with me this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, we thank you for what you've taught us the last five weeks. God, thank you that you still speak to us through your Bible. But the minute you started speaking, the devil started lying and he hasn't stopped. God, help us to know the lies of Satan. Help us to know the truth of your word, not because it's our salvation but because those who have experienced salvation see it as their standard that they'll be held accountable for and their direction to their most fulfilling spiritual life. God, thank you for equipping us and preparing us the past five weeks with this series. Help us now to go and share what we've learned with others, deepen our faith because of what we've learned. We love you, and God, we ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said...